Hi, this is Pastor Beth from Gate City Vineyard Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, and you are listening to this week's sermon. I hope you enjoy it and that it helps you to know Jesus just a little better. Glad to have all you here today. Um, as we continue with our series, Come to the Table, as you see, we're in a, we're in a circle. And that's to kind of emphasize to us, to remind us that when we come, we come to the table as a community, as a family, just like when you sit around the table at dinner, um, this is, this is, we're a family, we come together, and it's a little different for some of you I know, you get to see each other across the way, waving at each other, wave to the person that's across the way, uh, you get to see everybody, um, it's kind of nice, um, I, like I said before, sometimes our introverts don't love it, but it's okay, um, just sitting further back, it's all right. Um, but it's a really a time to just um, to remember that we're a community, that we come together. It's not about who's on the stage or anything. It's about us, that this is, this is who you are who makes this church what it is. Um, and, it's, and it's because we're centered around Jesus, the, t- the, table of C- the, G- uh, the table of Jesus. We're centered around that, and that's our unity. That's our hope. Um, it's amazing. So that's what we're doing for this season of Lent. It will be back for Easter, so um, we won't, don't want to freak out the newcomers that come on Easter, so we'll be back facing forward, but we're going to be doing this during the season of Lent. And today, um, we're going to be talking about what we receive at the table. Last week, we talked about receiving love at the table, um, and today, we're going to be talking about receiving receiving forgiveness. And I want to start by telling you just a little story. This is a fictional scenario, I promise you, okay? It's not based on anyone I know. It's not based on me. Okay, this is a fictional story, all right? Um, A woman woke up one morning exhausted. She hadn't slept very well at all. She was tossing and turning all night, feeling very anxious. So she came down, um, and yes, she was getting ready for work. She came down. Her husband was dealing with the kids. She didn't have any energy for it, so she kind of snapped at him before she left. She's like, you take care of it. I got to go. I'm late already. So she she leaves the house, um, and he's taking care of the kids, and then she is at work and has a terrible day at work. She um, you know, she loses two deals that were supposed to have gone through. They both fell through. And so her, her boss starts reaming her out in her office, yelling at her. And while he's yelling at her, all she can think of is the way her dad used to yell at her when she was a little girl and always tell her how she was screwing everything up and messing everything up. And so that's all that was flashing through her mind is he's yelling at her about these deals. And so she's, she just starts to feel sick to her stomach. She can't eat any lunch that day. All day long, she's feeling stressed out and, and, and upset and kind of angry. And as she comes home, she realizes she's got to cook dinner. It's her turn. So she's cooking dinner. And the kids are driving her crazy. They're running around and they're fighting with each other. And she cannot get them to stop. And they don't like the dinner she's made for them. And so she's just really annoyed with them. And her husband, sensing trouble, says, Can I, you want me to just take the kids? And she's like, no, I've got this. Stop. And finally, she doesn't even go down. She doesn't say goodnight to her husband. She just goes straight to bed. And as she's lying in her bed that night, suddenly remorse and guilt starts flooding over her and she thinks to herself, I am the very worst mother, I am the worst wife. And she buries her head in the pillow in shame and cries herself to sleep. Now, anybody ever had a day like that? (laughs) I suspect most of us can relate to a day like that. Um, and maybe the details are different, right? Maybe you're the husband stomping around and not the wife. Maybe it's not the kids, but it's the dogs. Maybe it's not your work, but it's your ministry or it's other family members or whatever. But we've all had days like that. Um, and what's happening here? And what's her response? What should be her response as a, as a woman who wants to follow Christ, who wants to be a Christ follower? What is there for her in this situation, What does God give her in this situation? And if you come from a very traditional kind of Christian black and white type of background, you might say, well, she just needs to repent. 
She's sinner. She's a sinner. She's yelling at everybody. She's losing control. She's just, she needs to get down on her knees and repent and ask God to forgive her and hope that he does. That might be one approach. Um, if you come from maybe a more secular therapeutic approach, you might say, well, did you see how she's got a father issue? And so really what she needs is therapy. And so she doesn't need to repent. She just needs some therapy, some help, um, and all of that. And if you come from what I like to call Christianity light, a lot of churches kind of like Christianity light, they might say, yeah, she did some wrong things, but we don't, let's not talk about sin because that's going to make her feel bad. Let's just love on her and, and call it a day. Now, there's some elements of truth in all three of those, right? Um, but let me ask you, was her behavior sin? Was her behavior because of her wounds from her past? Was she simply overtired and overhungry? Does she need to repent or does she just need a hug? And I say to you, the answer is yes. Yes to all the above. She needs all of that. It's sin, yes. But she also needs some healing. She also needs to get a good night's sleep. She needs some food in her belly, and she probably needs a really good hug. And so this is where I want us to think about today what it means when we say we, get, we receive forgiveness from Jesus and what it means to come and repent. We're talking about coming around the table. And I last week um, read to you from Revelations 3, 20, where it's Jesus talking, and he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And so we have this beautiful image, right, of eating with Jesus, that he wants to come in and come around the table with us. He wants to be with us. What's very interesting is right before that verse, if you just go one verse back, from Revelations 3.20 to Revelations 3.19, this is what it says. It says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, and I stand at the door and knock. And so somehow he's speaking to us about how the fact that part of our relationship with him is going to involve repentance. It's going to involve what that is, coming, realizing our sin and coming before him. And so these, these are not words that are popular in churches today, uh, at least um, newer churches. Uh, I had to guess if there's a few of you out there, you're already triggered by me talking about sin and repentance, that you've had maybe experiences in churches where all they did was just harp and harp and harp on your sin, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, you need to get it right. You know, we, we've heard that so many times that it sometimes for some of us becomes a really hard thing to even hear and to talk about. And at the end of the day, that whole thing regarding sin feels like um, kind of bad news instead of good news. But this is good news. What Jesus has done for us is good news. We, we cannot throw out the baby with the bathwater. Okay? We need to realize that our, we do sin. We are human beings and we sin. And I'm going to hopefully convince you of that, but then there's something we can do with our sin that's very freeing and very refreshing. I feel that we're confused about the words sin and repentance and forgiveness, and I want to redeem those words for you because Jesus uses those words, the Bible uses those words, and it's good news. The good news, the reason that Jesus even came at all was to set us free from sin, was to redeem us from sin, was to create, take away the logjam that sin creates in our heart. He came so that we would not be held to our sin, but we'd be completely forgiven and set free and washed clean of our sin. That's why he came. That's what that cross is all about. And so that's the good news. Here's what God says about sin and repentance. And I love this verse, Acts 3.19. It says, Repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Have you ever thought of repentance as involving refreshing? That it can be refreshing for our souls. And so 
this is something I want us to remember. We're, as we're focusing on communion this, this season, last week I said I want you to remember the love of God as you're taking it. Today I want you to remember the forgiveness of God, that he's forgiven you, that he washes you clean. It's a, and it's a moment to search our hearts. It's a really lovely moment in the middle of our service for us to search our hearts and ask the Lord, where is it that I have drifted away from the ways that you want for me? And for us to confess our sins, to repent of our sins, and be set free. It's freedom. It's refreshing. And we should walk away from that process refreshed, lighter, because we've been forgiven of our sins. We've confessed our sins and been forgiven. So let's just talk for a minute about sin, okay? The word means, as we know, um, falling short of the mark or missing the mark. So it's this idea of not hitting the arrow uh, where it's supposed to be. It's like veering off of what God wants for us. It's rebellion against God's ways. And actually, if we had a conversation about it, I think we could pretty much all agree on what sin is. Um, lots of things we could lay out there uh, as sin. There's pride and greed and there's sexual sin and there's lying and stealing. There's the, the seven deadly sins, right? We have those. Um, let's see, what are they? Lust, sloth, greed, gluttony, wrath, envy, and pride. I think we all agree, yeah, those are probably sins, like that works, uh, that's a good definition. And then, of course, if you are in a liturgical church, you will say things, we, we, we confess the sins that we have done and the ones we've left undone, the things we've done and the things we've left undone, right? So we have sins of omission and sins of commission, the things we did, but also the things we could have done. We could have helped that person, but we, were, we didn't want to, so we walked away. We, didn't, we could have stood up for that injustice, and we, and we didn't, right? So those things are sins. So I think, actually, we're all pretty clear on what sin is. Um, and we are pretty clear about that, but I think we don't like talking about it because we then have some bad thinking about what comes next. The first thing, the first bad thinking we have is that we think we don't have to admit our sin, that it's really not sin after all. It's just, you know, I'm, I've got issues. That's why I sin, you know. <laughs> I've got issues. I've got, I had a bad past. I had this and that happen to me. So when I do a bad thing towards someone else, when I do something I shouldn't be doing, when I do something that hurts someone, it's really just because of all my issues and my wounds, right? So I shouldn't be held responsible for that. That's bad thinking about sin. It's like, I'm okay, you're okay. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear that this is a deception. And Apostle John, I'm sorry. Apostle John says this in 1 John 1, 9. This is what he says. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I truly believe that continuing to make excuses for our sin, to, find, to blame other people or other situations, and rather than just sitting with it and confessing it, recognizing it, um, is going to set up a logjam in our soul. It, it's emotionally unhealthy, and you know why? Because it's just not truth confession of sin is truth. It's saying the truth about oneself. And all the truth about us is not always positive, right? I mean, we have many positive things about us, but some things we know are not right inside of us. And so it's truth to confess our sins. And we're agreeing with God. Um, he says we're, we're deceiving ourselves if we think we don't sometimes sin. It's not in line with God's word. And so there's a freedom and there's a refreshing that comes from admitting our sin, from just confessing it. And letting it, letting it out there so that God can then work with it and forgive it. So that's one bad thinking about sin is that we don't have to confess it. We do. Otherwise, it hangs on us. It hangs us. It, it eats away in our souls when we don't confess our sins. It's a conflicted inner life. Another bad thinking about sin is that we think that if, because we've sinned, now God is mad at us. 
that he's turned his back on us, that he is somehow angry, he doesn't love us quite as much as all those less sinful people. We tend to compare ourselves and think, well, they're not as sinful as me, so he must love them more. Um, This feeling is so prevalent. If I could tell you how many people I've had tell me, I just feel like God doesn't love me anymore, or he's angry at me because I did this or this or this or this. And, um, you know, God never turns his back on us. Do we understand that? I mean, he, obviously, he wants to call us out of sin. He wants to call us into a better way. But he's always facing forward. Think about Jesus. Whenever he was around a sinner, he always faced them. He was face to face with them. He didn't turn his back on them. He went to them. Now, he called them out of their sin. He said to the woman caught in adultery, leave your life of sin. It's not working for you. And it's not working for us. It's, it's getting in the way. He wants to call us out of the sin, but he never stops looking at us. He never stops working with us. He loves you no matter what. Even if you're still in your sin, he loves you. He'll, that will never change. And we've got to remember that. We've got to stop telling ourselves that God somehow doesn't love me anymore. Of course he does. Here's kid. He made you. He loves you no matter what. It says, we love because he first loved us. And while we were still what? Sinners, he died for us. We don't have to get it right before we come to God. In fact, it's only in that relationship with him that we can even begin to step away from the sin that we're struggling with. Am I right? It's only in that relationship with him. We don't have to figure it out first and now we're in relationship with him. No, it's the other way around. We come to him, we're face to face with him, and he begins to give us the strength to do the thing we know we need to do. Amen. So Jesus is right there. So that's bad thinking about sin as well. The third way that, bad think, that we have bad thinking about sin is thinking that we can simply declare something sin, repent of it, um, and then don't look any further about why we might be sinning at all. What's really going on underneath? Because um, we get in the cycle of repent, sin, repent, sin, Sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, the same thing. And maybe one of us ought to ask, what's going on? What's really going on in there that's making us constantly fall in the same way? We need to search our hearts. This is, uh, there's a word um, out there called spiritual bypassing. And what spiritual bypassing is, is a tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. In other words, it's not looking at why we're having these struggles. It's just slapping the word sin on it and then you know, saying, well, now I don't have to deal with that anymore. I got forgiven. I'm good. And then we just keep doing the same thing. We keep hurting the same people over and over again. We keep hurting ourselves over and over again. We're meant to search our hearts. And I love that way back in King David's time, a thousand, you know, 1000 BC around, King David says this. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. It's pretty enlightened for an old Hebrew guy. Uh, it's pretty psychologically enlightened. Search me, God. Know my heart. Why am I doing the things I'm doing? What's, what's beneath there? Is there? Are there wounds in there? Are there things that happened to me in my childhood that I just keep, keep coming back? Are there things that someone's done to me that I just keep remembering? Are there things that I, bad thinking that I've had? What is it, Lord? Search me. I've got to do the work of going deep. He says, search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We had a whole series last summer on emotionally healthy spirituality. Anybody remember that? You can go back and re-listen <laughs> because, again, we are, the idea of that is that we cannot expect to become spiritually mature if we are not allowing God to touch our emotional life, what's really going on inside. 
and, and become self-aware and know what God's, what's happening inside of us. This, this is something we must do to fight sin. Now I'm going to talk through a little, a little case study with you. There's a biblical case study uh, about dealing with sin with a classic sinner, okay? We all know this sinner, okay? He's the classic sinner, the prodigal son, all right? So we're going to talk about this guy and how he handled his sin and what we might learn from him. What we, we're going to see, um, and I'm going to read the story because I know not everyone may know it, but he swings, pendulum swings from one extreme to another, never quite dealing with repentance and sin in the proper way. So let's just read this. It's Luke 15, 11 to 24, if anyone wants to read along. It's also on the screens. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country and sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What a great story, right? The first pendulum swing of the prodigal is into full-out sin, right? I mean, we can all agree on that, okay? He sinned, right? He was doing some bad stuff. The first bad thing he did is took all his inheritance, which he wasn't supposed to take till his father died, but he said, I want it now. So he took it, and then it says he squandered his wealth in wild living. doesn't specify what the wild living is. Um, I think we all can use our imaginations. <laughs> Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? That's what he was doing. He was off there doing his thing, you know, whatever he was doing drinking too much ale, having too many women, whatever he was doing, right? That's, that was what he, it was wild living. He was running away from the father, doing what he wasn't, he knew he wasn't spent to do, and he, and he ran out of all the money, <laughs> spent all the money. We don't know how he got to this point, but the, po- the question is, what was the real sin of the prodigal son? Was it all that wild stuff he was doing, all that crazy, crazy activity? Think about what was the first sin. The first sin was walking away from his father, was rejecting his father's love, was saying, I'd almost rather you were dead because I want your inheritance now. I don't want a relationship with you. I just want your money. I'm out of here. That was the true sin of the prodigal. And what happened after that was a cascade of all these other very predictable sins. Okay, There's nothing surprising about the sins we fall into when we're running away from God. We fall into all these worldly sins. It's very easy to to list them. We all have different ones we fall for. (laughs) But... When we run away from the Father, that it starts a cascade. And that's what happened for him. He, that pendulum swing swung this way. And so this is a question I would have for us. If we find ourselves struggling with worldly sins, and some of us do, we have trouble with all kinds of things that we know we're not supposed to be doing, it's not healthy for us. Um, you must, we should think about asking the question, 
Not how do I get rid of this sin, but what's underneath this sin? Why am I running from the Father? Why am I rejecting him? Why don't I trust him? Because beneath all those worldly sins, there's a lack of trust in our Father. There's a lack of knowing him. And when we come to know him, when we come to know his love for us, suddenly the need for all that other stuff often falls away. And so um, this is emotionally healthy spirituality. This is one of the reasons, by the way, why I as a pastor don't harp on all your sins. Some pastors do, right? They're always having sermons about whatever, you know, sexual sins and other sins. And, and we, could, we could do that. I'm sure in this room, we've got probably all the seven deadly sins somewhere, right? I mean, I'm sure we all have sin. But, but I'm not in the business of behavior modification, okay? That's not my job. My job is to say, where is Jesus in your life? And where are we running away from him? And if we come back to him, then he starts to set us free from all that. He starts to do that. That is a truth. That is a truth. And so we fall into these sins not because, and, and, and leave those sins in some ways to get better with the Father, but we, we are falling into these sins because we're, we need to get right with the Father. Let's get right with Jesus. So yes, confess your sins, but mostly let's think, how are we running from God? Let's confess that sin. I am running from you, Jesus. I'm afraid of this happening, or I'm afraid of that, or I don't trust you in this. Those are real sins to confess and let him begin to set you free and bring more trust into your heart and more love for him in your heart. That's, that's where the freedom comes. So he swung all the way into all this sin. Now he swings back, okay? But he swings back too far. First he, first he does a good thing. He comes to his senses, all right? We see that. And so in Luke 15, it says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my fathers, hired servants have food to eat, and here I am starving to death. So it's not as though he's had a huge heart change. He's just hungry, right? Like, this is not working for me. I got no food. Um, And this is how it is for us sometimes, right? We just realize our life is not working. This is the first step of AA, right? My life is unmanageable. I'm not sure how we're going to fix this thing, but I just am recognizing right now my life is unmanageable. That's where he was at that moment. Um, it's when the pain of staying the way we are is worse than the pain of change, right? That's when we actually finally change. And so um, this is what happens to him here, and that's a good start. He feels some guilt about it. He feels bad. He's made some bad choices. And I would like to say that that's good guilt, okay? Guilt is not always a bad word, to feel somewhat guilty, to realize that we have hurt someone, that we've done something that's hurt our, ourselves or hurt someone we love, um, damages our relationship, that's good guilt. And he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and on, against you. Let's not resist good guilt, okay? We don't like to sit with that for very long. We shouldn't sit with it for too long, but we should recognize when we've done something that's not right. Um, and And... Begin to confess it to the Lord. Begin to confess it to him. Let's get it off of our chest. Um, But then, what does he do? The pendulum swings too far, okay? He goes from good guilt, healthy guilt, I did something wrong, I should feel bad about that, (laughs) to shame. He switches right into shame. And so here's what we see here. Goes from good, healthy guilt to shame and self-loathing. He says in Luke 15, 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I'm not worthy now. I've messed it up. I'm not worthy. I'm a terrible person. I'm a horrible person. Look at the sin I've done. Everyone else is better than me. Um, God is rejecting me. No one is bad as me. Has anybody ever said any of those things? 
Do we relate to that where we just get in our sin and we get, oh my God, I'm such a bad person and there's no one as bad as me and if everybody ever knew what I did then they would never like me again and, and God's mad at me and everyone's mad. What, you know what we're doing? We're wallowing. We wallow in it. That's a very theological term, by the way. The, uh, uh, if we wallow. We just kind of like, like wallow like a, like a pig in mud, right? And all this negative feeling about all the sin we had done and it's a dreadful path, okay? That's not where God wants us to be. And I'd love, us, I'd love to know why we sometimes seem incapable of confessing our sin without then also slipping into wallowing. Why do we do that? Just notice it next time you do it. Self-pity. Maybe it's self-pity, yeah. And, and yeah, and maybe it, it brings up some things from our past. Maybe people shamed us in the past for things we did. So maybe that needs to get some healing. We can confess a wrong done without wallowing. Okay, next time you start wallowing, say to yourself, I'm wallowing, <laughs> I'm wallowing, stop wallowing. So the prodigal son wallows badly there. But then, of course, the best part of the story, right? The father, what he does next is he runs to his son. Yes, his son has squandered all the money. Yes, it was a terrible insult. Yes, his son at least finally recognizes what he did was wrong, but he's all, also prepared with this whole speech about how I'm just going to live out in the shack with the, with the servants. I'm going to live on a little, you know, live out in a tent, and I'm not worthy to be your son. And he does this whole thing. And what does the father do? The father just waves it all away. He says, stop. Go get the best robe. Put it on my son. I don't care about all that. You're back. That's what matters. You're back. You want to be in relationship with me. That's all that matters. What in the world makes you think that I would not want you in my family? You're my child. Parents, you know how this goes. You have sons and daughters who have gone all kinds of ways, who have been so rude to you in many ways sometimes. But they're still your kid. still love them. And man, if they came back, you'd be like, I I have this image of of a big Italian papa. Just go, like, raise it, put his arms around and go, get over here, my boy. You know, like, I just, that's what I hear. Like, just, you're my boy. I love you. Like, that's, that's what I see. He just loves you. And that's what happens here. So there's a good repentance and a full forgiveness that we can receive. I don't know that the prodigal son ever fully grasped it, but that's what I want us to take away from this. So there's a way of repenting in a good way. It's a healthy way. And I just want us to hear that as we're going to go into communion. I'm going to ask you to take a moment and and confess your sins to the Lord. And I want us to to have a good repentance. I don't want us to wallow. I want us to have a good repentance. And a good repentance is this. It's to feel, first of all, appropriate guilt. It's okay if we feel some, some badness about what we've done. There's truth in it, right? There's truth. Something maybe wasn't right. If we were, and in fact, if you never felt bad for an unkind or a selfish thing you did, then it would mean there's something wrong with your moral compass, <laughs> right? I mean, we should. It's, it's, God made us like that, by the way. We reflect his image. So that's why we feel bad when we do something that's not like him, that's not like Jesus would be. This is a good thing. He's awakening us to the image in us. So it's okay. It's okay to say, I'm going to acknowledge the thing I did that was not good, was not healthy, was not right. So we feel that guilt. We make an appropriate and true confession. No excuses. No, but you know what? I wouldn't have done it if my husband hadn't have done that. Or I wouldn't have done it because, you know, because I didn't get a good night's sleep. Or I wouldn't have done it if this hadn't happened to me. Maybe, but still, this, you still did it. So let's just confess our sin. 
no excuses, owning our part of the problem. And the apology may be to God, it may also be to another person. Um, we don't know. Uh, but a true confession and true repentance is confession with that desire. I want to make things right. I want to change. Then the next thing is that we thoughtfully examine what's going on. This is an important step. So we've, we've felt the guilt, we've confessed it, now we thoughtfully think about what, what is it that, I, that caused this to happen? Why am I like this? Why do I have this reaction in the situation? This is the searching our hearts, making sure God has searched us. Maybe we're stressed, maybe we got triggered by something, maybe we're unhealed. There, there's always, so I was saying to a friend the other day, it's always sin and, or sin plus, right? We sin, but there's almost always something behind it. Something's been going on, maybe something we're not dealing with. Um, maybe, maybe again, we're just tired. So let's think about maybe I can get some more sleep so I don't keep falling into that. Um, maybe it's a, a, something that needs to be healed deep, deep down inside. But also, then finally, let's run into the arms of the Father. And by the way, this is in no particular order. <laughs> so you could run into the arms of the Father first as you first feel guilt, but just to know that he loves you. A good repentance throws us into the arms of our Father and that he never is going to turn his back on you. He's never going to let you go. He's never going to reject you. He just, he loves you. And only as we are in his arms, then we can start to have some strength to change and to do things a better way. So that's a, that's a good repentance, a good repentance. And then receive a full forgiveness. Know that you, your sin doesn't make God love you any less. Receive the love of God. Know that he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. Don't let anything or anyone tell you otherwise. And if your heart somehow is telling you otherwise, say, heart, you're wrong, because Jesus loves me. Receive it. Receive and receive and realize that you're washed clean. You are completely cleansed of that sin. To think about the last sin that you were wallowing in. You've confessed it, you are forgiven, and you're cleansed of it. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I taken your sin from you. It's gone. You're wearing a white robe. And finally, reject shame and false guilt. In other words, no wallowing. Somebody say no wallowing. No wallowing. wallowing. We don't sit in that, like, I'm a terrible person, and nobody loves me, and and everything's wrong, and I'm always doing the wrong thing. No, we don't wallow in all that. We, we, We feel that guilt, but we don't move in with it, right? We don't take a, you know, a lease out with, the, with guilt, right? We, 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 we say, no, I'm not going to move in with guilt. I'm just going to recognize it, and I'm going to confess it, be done with it, be forgiven. And it's released. It's released. So let's go back to the poor woman at the beginning of my sermon. What she need to do? Well, she does probably need to apologize to her husband. I mean, she was kind of rude to him. Um, I have recognized in a real scenario, he would probably snap back and probably both need to apologize. That's usually how it goes down. Um, but in this case, you know, at least he was, he was trying to do the good thing. So she probably needs to apologize to him. She probably needs to apologize to her kids. I hope, parents, you are okay with apologizing to your kids sometimes because they know when you've sinned. <laughs> and it's better for them to know that you know. Not pretend that you are somehow not sinning. They know when you're sinned. Apologize to them. They'll know that Jesus is dealing with you just like everybody else. She probably does need to get on her knees with God and ask for forgiveness, but maybe not for all the external things again, but for that heart thing. Where, where am I not trusting you, God? And where am I not letting you heal me? And invite him into that, that, that tender place. She got triggered by her boss. 
There's some tender stuff there that she needs to work out with Jesus. And so there's, there's a sense of healing, and there's also that sense of confession. I do feel like we, to say to God, I am sorry for what I've done, is like taking off a backpack. It's like it's just a release. It's a, it's a confession. Um, there's reasons why some church traditions focus a lot on confession, because it's freedom. It's freedom. It's truth. And then we can throw off that backpack, and we don't have to carry it around anymore. No wallowing. No wallowing. And after that, I feel that she needs to hear God's voice. I think she needs to just rest in God's voice. And here's a few things that I think he might say to her. He might say, you're tired, my child, go get some some rest. Get a good night's sleep. He might say, you're hungry, my child, get something to eat. Many sins could be averted if we just had a good night's sleep and a good meal. (laughs) Many sins could be averted. He might also say, you're hurting, child, from what your father said to you all those years ago. Are we going to deal with that? Can we work on that together? He might also say to her, I know you're frustrated with your work, child, but do you remember that, that your identity is not wrapped up in how well you do at work, but your identity is wrapped up in me? And I'm your boss, not him. I think he might say that to her. And best of all, I think God might say to her, my child, be gentle with yourself. Speak kind words to yourself, like you would to a child, like you would to anyone else, because you're precious to me and you're made in my image, and I don't like it when people talk bad to my precious image. And finally, I think God would say, you're clean, my child, you're completely forgiven, believe it, you're pure and holy in my sight. I don't see your sin anymore, it's gone. This makes me um, think of a story that I'll end with here. Um, when Paul and I were dating and uh, it was looking like we were about to get engaged, um, I suddenly had a moment of panic and I thought, I need to tell him everything about me. (laughs) I need to confess all my sins to him because I just felt like I didn't want him to marry me under false pretenses. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like I wanted him to know who he was getting and I came across as a good little Christian girl. I was in Christian group by that time and so, you know, he might have thought that I didn't ever do anything that was not good, but I did and so I felt like I needed to confess all this stuff to him and so poor guy, I sat him down and I, um, I started telling him all the stuff not a good conversation. And, and, you know, harder, it became harder as I'm telling all this stuff because I'm realizing, uh, you know, I, I felt very vulnerable. Um, and I suddenly started to think, what if he's really shocked, you know? Um, and what if, what if he doesn't want to marry me after this? Like, what if that's too much for him? And, um, and so I just, but I just blurted it all out. And then he asked me, are you, are you done? Did you, you get it all out? And I said, yeah. And um, I will never forget what he said to me after that is that he looked me in the eyes, and I'm going to cry, (laughs) but he looked me in the eyes, and he said, you're pure and holy in my sight, Beth. You've been completely washed by the blood of the Lamb, and your sins are forgiven, and you're white as snow, and I don't see any of that anymore. I just, I see you, pure and holy. And, yeah. (laughs) I feel so blessed that I got to hear that from a person on this earth. But I want you to know that every one of you is getting told that by your Heavenly Father right now. That Jesus sees you as pure and holy without blemish. That's what he did on the cross. Without blemish. And so you can come and you can confess all your sins. 
There's none that are too bad, too embarrassing, too whatever. Like, he, he knows it all anyway. <laughs> and so you can just come and you can lay it all out. Here I am, God. This is what it is. And he's going to look at you and say, you're forgiven. Now you're covered under my blood. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. If you would like to learn more about Gate City Vineyard, you can find out more at our website at gatecityvineyard.com. Have a wonderful and joyful day.